testing one, two, three, three, on in. Welcome to Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. I'm here with my lovely wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins. And uh, what's good, black people? What's good? I hope you hope you all are doing well. You don't like this wedding? That's our wedding picture. I don't like it because I'm not. You're looking at the camera, but I'm not. So I'm not ready. I was just kind of like. You look great in that picture. What, you, what woman? What is you talking about? Okay, see, this is the problem. Don't argue with me. Just hear what I'm saying. Yeah. You, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll just agree. No, I didn't. I don't want you to agree. I want you to. Just try to understand what I'm where I'm coming from. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I agree with you. I, I just want you to hear me. That's all. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, I, I hear you. I hear you. Ask more questions if you have if you need clarification. I think you look gorgeous and uh and I'm just accept I'm not gonna accept the idea that you're anything less than absolutely beautiful in that picture. Well, like, ask me a question. Say, Alicia, what do you mean? And I'll say, okay, well, number one, I'm not looking in the camera. Mm. And number two, I'm not really smiling. And number three, I'm caught off guard. Okay. Know? Okay. So that that's just, you don't agree with me. It's okay. <laughs> so Boyce has been officially shut down. I'm not trying to shut you down. I really am not. I think she looks beautiful. Everybody in the <laughs> in the chat. Give me a yes in the chat if you think Alicia looks beautiful in that picture. That's our wedding picture. We got married. We have a lot of wedding pictures. There's she up here hate hating. There's how, better ones. How are you gonna be hating on your own picture? I'm not hating. I just boys. You can't hate on your own picture. Into my stuff. You look too good. You're gorgeous, baby. You're beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, how's everybody doing today? <clears throat> hey, DDS and uh, TC and Glenn. Good to see you. Uh, give me a guess in the chat if you can hear us okay. Let us know you can hear us okay. Also, uh, shout out the city that you're from. Hey, Donald. I had an uncle, Donald, and we were very close, and he passed in uh, 2012. So uh, shout out Nashe to Uncle Donald. Um, so uh, how's everybody feeling today? Are you having a good day? Is your life um, Is your life good? Are you happy? I hope that you're happy today. Um, and uh, today we decided to have this pillow talk conversation about the high cost of of babyhood, um, the cost of having kids. I just read this article. Um, you know, I you know I read sometimes, and uh, and I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal where they were literally saying that it costs three hundred thousand dollars to raise a baby. That literally the cost of kids has just gotten crazy. It's um higher than it was before. It was already high, but now I guess it's super high. And uh, and according to the Wall Street Journal, they're claiming that inflation plays a part in this. That literally the cost of everything has gone up. Uh, everything that you can um, think of when it comes to raising kids has has gone up in in price uh, from the cost of not just things like baby formula and stuff like that, but food and toys and books and everything else. And, uh, and that's a big deal. Uh, what, what did you think, Dr. Alicia, when you, when you saw this? Yeah, I got three children and I feel like I'm out of a million dollars. And that's probably true. Um, this is not, this is the week they land this article on us on back to school week. It's almost well, like they like spent. I spent everything. I emptied my data. These kids then robbed me. Emptied my pockets. I know they're like little bank for, robbers. <laughs> emptied they're, my pockets they're, for they're, shoes and backpacks and oh my gosh, school supplies and all this stuff. And are, you know they got to be fly. 
<laughs> kids are so terrible. Oh my gosh, let's get. Can we sell them? How much, who's buying? How, how who's much, buying kids? How much will <laughs> babies go for dollars. in this market? <laughs> Ooh, that, 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 that. Look at that feedback. That's crazy. There we go. That's better. Okay. <laughs> no more feedback. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so what do y'all think? I mean, how many of y'all uh, were surprised by this? Were, I mean, were you surprised to find out that the the cost of raising kids are so high? Or, you know, I remember reading that it was a quarter million dollars before. And and I used to, you know, talk to guys and kind of say, hey, when you have kids, just know that, you know, if you have like four kids or something like that, you're literally signing up um, for a student loan that's a million dollars. Like, like you're literally committing yourself to a million dollar debt. And the big question is, you know, is that something that you want to do? You know, and I think a lot of um, young people don't think about that. I think that, you know, they're thinking about getting the booty and everything else. And, and, uh, you know, like, hold on. Wait. I, you know, for some reason I have to, some reason I feel like I have to test a lot of your assumptions and like okay. challenge your assumptions. Okay. Go ahead and challenge. You know, so assumption. you're coming from challenge me. I'm not challenging. I'm just trying to get an understanding. It's like, you're coming from a perspective that young people are irresponsible and I'm not certain. Yes. About that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Why, why is that? Why is that a bad assumption? I'm that's, not saying all of them are irresponsible. Yeah. That's, that's an assumption. So like, you know, everybody in my circle when I was young in my mm -hmm. early twenties and all of that, like we were like on it, like we were responsible. We were like in college, we were doing our thing. We were too busy to have kids. We were like, we got time to have no children. We're mm. trying to get our stuff on. We're trying to get our education on. Like we were ambitious and you know, that we had dreams. Like I wanted to be um, a therapist. I had another friend that wanted to be a, um, a school teacher. I had a lot of school teacher friends when I was in college. They, they were in education. They were doing their thing and they did their thing. You know, and um, I, I think that the assumption, I mean, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't know everything. I was wet behind the ears, but I was making, you know, good decisions that um, impacted um, my future in a way that was really positive. So I think what you're saying is that um, there are segments of youth who, uh, for whatever reason, didn't get the guidance that they needed, didn't get the love that they needed. And so they seek for it. They seek it everywhere else in a way that's unhealthy. Okay. You know, so that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I I need to understand. Are you are you? That doesn't sound like you're technically disagreeing with me, though. No, I'm not. It sounds like I, you're 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 agreeing with that that because I I don't. So why is there feedback? So what I, what I'm hearing here is from your statement is that you know okay so a lot of your friends were not irresponsible but I'm gonna ask the audience. Let me ask the audience real quick. When you were 20, would you say that most of your friends back when you were 20 were super responsible and did everything right? Or would you say that at least half of them uh, were, you know, just just dumbasses, you know, like literally just making like really bad choices that they were going to regret later, um, not making the best decisions? You know? Oh like God. seriously, I like do, do, do you think that there were people back in your life at that time that were just not making good decisions? I I I don't know. Maybe you know. I think that with yourself, I think that you you were you were smart. You made good choices, mm -hmm. but I see a lot of people that 
get to 35 years old and they regret at least 30 or 40 percent of everything they did in their 20s, including including who they dated, um, you know, the, the what they did educationally, what they did in terms of wealth and money. I don't really see, you know, the average 20 year old making like these stellar decisions, particularly when it comes to something like sex. Okay. So the thing that's interesting, I mean, I guess all of us have regrets to some extent, right? Um, But the thing is, is that birds of a feather flock together. So the type of person that I was, or the type of person that I've seen other people be even today, youth today, I mean, there are some, there are a lot of young people who got their stuff together. You know, they're making, they're, they're maybe making a mistake, but they're able to look back on it. They're able to say, okay, that didn't work. So let me learn from that. So I don't repeat that. And they don't repeat it. So there are a lot of um, young people who are feeling their way out, but they have such a great foundation for who they are and where they can minimize um, growing up, getting older and, and being very regretful. Um, about some of the past mistakes, but, you know, I don't, I don't think we should put a lot of, um, you know, I don't like negativity <laughs> on young people that to say that's ageism voice. <laughs> ageism wait, wait, says, wait, hold on. You think that's, that's ageism? <laughs> yeah. Ageism says just because you're a, because of your age, you're not capable or you're less than. <laughs> I, I don't agree with that. So I, I, no, I don't think that's ageism. I think that's OGism. OGism to me means that my job as an OG mm-hmm. is to come in and help young people to avoid the dumb things that many, me and many of my friends did in our 20s. I, I think that you can say, yeah, like that's not very smart. And I'm telling you, I think that when it comes to sex, sex is God's little dirty little trick that he plays on us because you need sex in order to reproduce. We know this. But y'all know as well as I do that there's a whole lot of people out here that are laying down and getting down and dirty with people that they shouldn't be sleeping with. And next thing you know, you've got this $300,000 liability, if you want to call it that. Um, and, and then maybe you have multiple, like you have five kids. Think about this, everybody. Five kids means you owe $1.5 million in you're you're $1.5 million in debt. When you have five children, if you have five children with say three different men or three different women, you owe 1.5 million. How do you expect to be able to build wealth when you're starting your life in your twenties and you're $1.5 million in debt? Okay. So you're speaking to people in their twenties who have five children. You're speaking to or, or, or two population. or three, right? Cause it's uh-huh. $300,000 per child, according to the wall street journal. Mm-hmm. So, so you're in debt at that point, you owe hundreds of thousands of dollars. You just don't see it. And I believe that the, the, the thing that, that causes, people to end up in that tough situation because sex is very tempting people to people think about sleeping they don't do planned parenthood they don't do planned parenthood they they think of many of us think about sleeping with other people without even considering the fact that you might be playing with fire that's my two cents okay so you're speaking to um people who had children are you saying are these married individuals or they had children out of wedlock what are you saying i'm talking about anybody who has done something that they regret financially. Like, so if you are a, uh, if you're a a baby's mama who's struggling financially, or or if you are a single mom who's Mm -hmm. struggling financially, um, I would wonder if you thought through the the fact that you had a child with this person. If you are a single father who is upset because the child support court is garnishing your check, uh, what caused you to make that decision? I I believe in foresight. I believe in thinking things through. So Um, you want people to have a crystal ball? 
Not a crystal ball. You want people to be like, I need to be able to. <laughs> not, not a crystal the ball. Just, just this relationship. Not a crystal ball. <laughs> just don't be thinking with your balls. Okay. That's what I. You know, that's what I think. I think just. Well, men, you're talking about just, men are just don't, thinking. Don't go thinking with your balls. Like, like let your. You know, don't let your balls replace your brains. And I, I think because I, I see a lot of guys. I know, I know a lot of guys who, um you know, who laid down with women and they're just looking at the size of her booty or they're looking at how good the sex is. And well, that, then, that's and then when there's a baby, uh-huh. they're kind of devastated by that financially. Well, the thing is what you're doing is that there are men and I, maybe this is a problem. There are men who objectify women because with what you just, the statement that you just said is very objectified. It's like men who just sit down all oh, They don't care about the person. They don't care about the lady as a person. They don't care about a relationship. They don't care about a future with this person. You're saying that they're just looking at a, a body part that's objectifying women. So they're looking at this body part and that's going to be enough to lay down with them. And you don't even know you're having a baby with somebody you don't know. Well, is that what you're saying? I think I'm just made, trying to like paraphrase what you were trying to say in a way. I think it made know, a great point. <laughs> that was a great point, And that is well heard. And that is received. So that's a problem with objectifying. I'm going to read. Yeah, it is. It is. And no, I'm that's gonna, terrible. That's like, right. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I, am I allowed to speak now? Whose turn is it? <laughs> go go ahead. I was Continue saying, your point. You know that it is an awful thing, and and it tells me that uh, it tells me a lot of things, but it just tells me. And even for women, what do you think women are doing? Women are just like, oh, he looks good, or <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. he's got a certain physique, and I don't really care about him as a person. I don't care about his mind. I don't care about if he's funny. If he has if he's, you know, if he has a future in his life, I don't care if he's a go-getter. I just want this man right now. Is that what you're saying? That people, people aren't able to think things through and they just like give in to the lust and they're not mindful in, in how they approach or what they do with their bodies. They give in their bodies to somebody they don't know very well. And they're not mindful in those decisions. Okay. I'm just um, listening to you. <laughs> right. I, and I was waiting for you to finish so okay. I can respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that men, when we're not always focused, we can, we can really be like horny little, we can become horny little dogs. Like I believe that as men, I think that men, I believe our penises get us in trouble. And it doesn't mean that you can't control that. I, I, I've always stated that I encourage guys to understand that sexual discipline is an important part of success and wealth and everything else. It's very hard to become successful and wealthy if you're chasing around every pretty girl that runs by you. But I know guys that that don't have a lot of sexual discipline, and I, and I, I don't know if they're encouraged to do that. Um, does it hit the point of objectification? I don't know. I mean, maybe... You know, you might like her assets, but you might like her personality, too. You might think she's fun and funny, but you're staring at her booty when she walks away. Uh, you know, uh, and, and does that make you a bad person? I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think that when you can't look at the long game, like, we, you know, as a man, I speak for, for me as a man and other men like me. I believe that you have to value your seed and you have to think carefully about where you plant your seed. Uh, and so I would encourage you guys to kind of think that through. Now, same thing is true with women. Uh, give me a yes or no in the chat. Everybody give me a yes or no. If you've seen scenarios or maybe you've been in that example where a woman was allowing a man into her bedroom and he shouldn't have been there. This man was a dirty dog. She knew it. She knew a dirty that he, dog. 
Um, I, I I'm gonna use the term dirty dog. You'll probably use a more clinical term because you're a therapist and you you should do that. But I'm gonna say dirty dog. You know, when I saw Sierra dating a guy like Future, I'm like, yeah, Future's a dirty dog because he that's what he's famous for. He's he's known like like people like yeah, he got eight babies, mama. That's the coolest thing in the world, right? But or whatever, however many he's got. No. Well, I think I think people I think people I think the world is backward like that. Like I think that when people, especially younger women, are attracted to the bad boys and all that, Mm -hmm. they like all that dysfunctional behavior and they don't they don't think about what this is going to mean for my Mm -hmm. children. What's this going to mean when I'm taking care of this baby by myself with no help? Um, I've just seen, you know, in my years, a lot of moms that are good people, good, good mothers. And getting zero help from the father. And and I have to admit, I'm I am in that camp of people that says, you know, did you think about what kind of father this man would be when you let him have access to your womb? Do you value yourself? Did you value your womb enough to say, I'm gonna protect this because this is where my babies are gonna come from? I'm not letting any guy come in here that isn't proving to me beyond a reasonable doubt that he's gonna be a good father. But then again, it's easier said than done because I think sex is inherently a highly irrational process. Like it's emotional and it's physical when you start to feel good. And it's like, I feel like you're really on dope with literally dopamine, right? You know, the pleasure centers and all that. You could talk mm-hmm. about that. Like, I feel like that is what causes us to just make these irrational short-term decisions. That's okay. So in your world, cause you were talking about your world. So in your world, um, women just walk around and get misled by men. I didn't say women. I didn't, I didn't say, I don't, I didn't, they, I didn't no, they, I, I don't want to generalize. Okay. All right. I was just yeah, I'm, to yeah, I'm not generalizing. Mm-hmm. I, I will, I, I, the only extent to which I'll generalize is that I think sex can become a dirty trick for all of us, men and women. So you see sex as a dirty trick? To some, it can be. Yeah. Okay. I think that, I think it's, it's this very powerful thing, right? Think mm-hmm. about this, right? When you have sex with somebody, you're creating a human life. There's nothing more important on this earth that I can think of that you can do other than create a person. So sex is really powerful. Sex is important. Um, all of us, <clears throat> in fact, give me a yes in the chat. Everybody answer this question for me. Answer this question. How many of y'all are, are here in this chat today because somebody had sex? How many of y'all can, can think of, uh, of two people who had sex that caused you to be in this chat? Give me a yes. So, so we are all products of sex. I don't know if sex is a dirty trick, though. I'm I, not certain okay. that I see it that Go way. Ahead. But I'm just interested in the fact that you see it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I see it as sex a, as like, because, because it, it it tempts you. It's tempting. You know, like you just you, you kind of you're like, you know, you start feeling a certain kind of way and you're like, oh, I want to do it. But then I know I shouldn't. But you, you're thinking about maybe the pleasure you're going to have. Like, you, I, am I am I crazy? Am I the only one? Who who thinks sex is awesome? Well, I'm not disagreeing. I like with having I'm just sex with to you. Understand. <laughs> oh, I would have had sex with you the first day I met you. <laughs> Seriously, okay, but you didn't know me. It does. And, it didn't matter. Okay, but that's the thing. Like you didn't you didn't know me on the very first day that we met. And are you when you were talking about how youth make these decisions? Were you including yourself in that? Yeah, I think that men and women are different. To just do, just I, I, do. I felt I was in love with you when I saw your beautiful smile, and then I saw your curves. Oh yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have married you. I wouldn't have married you because I didn't know you. But yeah, if you'd been like, hey, let's go back to my dorm and get to know each other, I'd have been like, okay. And I don't think that makes me weird or crazy. I, I think, never said that. I didn't put a yeah. value on your thoughts. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I mean, would it have been the smartest thing in the world to do? No, it wouldn't. That's why I say sex can be like a dirty trick. 
Yeah, I think like, you know, it's part of our, when you talk about culture, it's part of our culture that we have to be in this immediate gratification stage, that everything mm. has to be, um, ooh, you know, you have to just give in to lust all the time. And, you know, I was too busy. I'm too mm, busy studying. Okay. I'm in the library. I'm too busy studying to be thinking about that at that moment, you know? And, um, and you know, I didn't see a lot of eligible men. I didn't see a lot of men when I was in college, but that was my experience. Mm. You know, not in, no one on that campus tried to talk to me. <laughs> I, I don't know I, I why. Don't, I never dated anybody really. I, I think, well, I have a theory on that. In college. I just didn't. And, um, well, by, by the way, I want to clap for you having discipline. I, 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 I know discipline. I noticed your I just, discipline in college. I noticed that you were very focused, and I and I and that's one of the things I loved about you. You know, is um, I I I had I dated a lady in college that wasn't focused. She didn't want to make good grades. She was lazy and she wasn't that smart. So, how did you make that decision to date somebody like that? Because I was because I was twenty and I and I wasn't that smart. Yeah, and, and she had a nice booty and I was that's yeah, how I was see, thinking back then. Right. That's what that's just what you do. But that's what happens. When you're young, you just make you, okay. you don't you're not able to process things. That's why the OGs are important. That's why talking to your father is important. You know, like when I went to Syracuse University, <clears throat> one of the things my father told me when I went to Syracuse was he said, uh, you know, you're going to be a professor. You're going to be making a lot of money. Of women are going to be attracted to you. But he literally said and, and, and cover your ears. I'm about to use a cuss word because I'm going to quote him exactly. He said, don't fuck nothing on that campus okay so and he was saying don't mess with a student don't sleep with any faculty members don't sleep with anybody on the administration because they will you know they, they, the hr people will come get you for that and mm -hmm. and i and i didn't so that to me was an example of how mentorship from my father uh about sexual discipline was really important because i had a fellow faculty member his name was adam banks and he slept with a student while he was um allegedly he slept with a student while he was um on campus and they made a big deal out of it. And this and right when he was going up for tenure, they had him on I saw him on the local news being charged with sexual misconduct or something. And there was no proof. It was just an accusation. But still I remember I when I saw that, I started thinking about my um father's advice. Like mm -hmm. just don't even put yourself in that situation where someone can tell that kind of a lie on you. Okay. So what you're saying is that your father told you that um, it's danger on campus. So your father instilled in you that um, that you have to look at your surroundings in a way where you are like in a battlefield and and where um, yeah where you can't trust anybody. So, it's not about not trusting anybody. Or, mm -hmm. My father, but I will say you're right. My father is a soldier. Uh, mm -hmm. He was in Vietnam. He's from the streets. He's had to kill people. Mm -hmm. Um, so he probably would be on the paranoid side. He was a cop for 25 years. Uh, he loves Godfather movies. He loves, you know, like Robert De Niro and stuff like that. Like he, he does think in that kind of way. And I personally think that it was beneficial for me mm -hmm. because I have a unique experience in America as a black man. You know, okay. you're looking at left and right where black men were, you know, when, especially in the nineties, I saw black men going to prison for 50, 60 years who are my age. I saw black men getting murdered by other black men. I saw black men being killed by the cops. So uh, why wouldn't I think as a black man that I am at war and that I have to defend myself, okay, you so know, seeing, at every available opportunity? Seeing, seeing things as a possible threat and having your surround. I mean, I don't know. I think it's like exhausting walking around the world like that, you know, just seeing mm. um, seeing the world in a way where, OK, is this person out to get me? Is this person threatening me? Is this person out to use me? Is this and, and it's like um, I think it's just so important to just develop really genuine relationships with people. And um, I'm 
I've seen I've seen um, faculty members fall in love on campus <laughs> and mm -hmm. get married to each other and, and live a great life. I mean, I've seen that and it didn't turn out um, in this horrible situation. Um, so, but yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, there's a way to go, uh, go about it when you have, because everybody on campus is an adult, right? Everybody is 18 and older. Everybody is an adult. And I get the power differential and all of that uh, that makes it, sort of wonky, you know, but there, but there's steps, there's things you can do if you fall in love on campus. I mean, lots of faculty spend uh, many, many hours, <laughs> 12 hours a day sometimes on campus. So it makes sense that you develop relationships and you start having feelings for each other. And there's ways where you can go to HR and um, there's, there's some possible things, but the biggest thing is to trust yourself, trust yourself in the type of, um, your ability to make sound choices that everything is not a threat to you. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, by the way, everybody, uh, you're listening to Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Uh, I'm a finance PhD. My wife is a, a doctor in social work <clears throat> and a full professor. Uh, also, she is a licensed therapist and uh, a certified clinical trauma professional. So we uh, like to get together on Pillow Talk and have um, the kinds of conversations that two professors would have against their pillows. So if you could do us a favor, please hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, share. Make sure you subscribe. And also, if you go to boyceandalicia.com, you can get a free e-copy of my book, Financial Lovemaking. And if you want to, you can join Alicia's database of black singles that she's putting together to match make people. And also, you can get a lot of really great information, particularly in the areas of love and money. We love to send things out. Um, so so let, let, me, let me just kind of... I, I hear that, right? I hear that. And I, I think that one of the things that we forget is that I think the rules are just different when you're a black man. I, I, I don't think that, and I talked about this a lot in my book, What If George Bush Were a Black Man? White boys can get away with stuff that black dudes can't typically get away with. You know, I, I feel like as a black man, I, I understood early and this really served me well. You know, yeah, was it exhausting? Of course, yeah, being black can be exhausting, but it served me really well to have my parents let me know, like, you ain't white. You know, you can't do what the white guys do. So maybe there are these white professors that can go and sleep with people on the campus, sleep with students and fall in love with other faculty. You know, I didn't want to do all of that. I felt like I had to be careful. And um, and I, I can think of friends, like I had a friend one time who went to college and he was black and he thought he was white. And he, uh, well, I don't say that. I'm not going to say that in a cynical way, but he joined a, a white fraternity. And he did what the white kids did. He would go get drunk every weekend. He started using all kinds of crazy drugs. And he ended up in jail. <laughs> and he ended up becoming a drug addict. And a lot of his friends and his frat, they just had their college years and then they moved on. And now they all got these nice corporate jobs and they're living in the suburbs. He's still a drug addict. You know, he's still, you know, uh, and, and I'm not saying that this is definitely going to happen to every black man. I'm just saying that I think that just as a black man, I've always known that the rules were different. If I'm in white society, I can't just do what a white man or what a white woman would do. Uh, studies show that black men are more likely to be incarcerated than, than white women and white men, even when they commit the same crimes, right? So for example, one good example I'll throw in there and then I'll let you uh, respond to that is <clears throat> when I was at Syracuse, those kids used to use all kinds of drugs. I mean, drugs I'd never heard of. It was crazy. It was like a cesspool of alcohol and drugs on their campus. And I never once did I see the feds or the cops come in and raid 
any of those dorms and send any of those kids to prison for 50 years. But I did see black men I knew who, you know, dealt a little bit of crack in the 1990s who are still locked up to this day. So um, I don't know about if everybody else agrees, but I personally think that being black means you do have to be careful. And um, and yeah, you got to be a little more skeptical and cynical. And, and because if you don't, you, you get caught slipping. And the next thing you know, you're done. You're gone. So what do you think? Yeah, it's too bad that, um, you know, young people, young people at a certain age, um, you know, when you're in college or whatever, you experiment with drugs. A lot of people, a lot of young people do experiment with drugs. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's sort of like the natural uh, rite of passage <laughs> is to kind of experiment. And um, it's unfortunate because in that scenario that you just laid out, it resulted in drug addicts. <laughs> it, it resulted in, and you know, being less than ambitious and, and not being able to graduate and achieve your goals. And I think that's some of the tricky things about, um, about, college and, you know, even just being young and not having a sort of direction. And so I think, you know, yeah, you make a really good point about decisions that you make early on can have detrimental effects on on your life later on. And, um, and there are a lot of people I see in my office who sit and talk about, I, I work with individuals who sit and talk about, I did this when I was younger, I did this when I was younger, and I feel awful about it. And, you know, the key to that is, you know, to process how you were feeling at the time. What happened? How were you feeling at the time that you just made these decisions that, you know, turned out to be really awful? And a lot of the times um, I find that a lot of people are looking for love. They're looking mm. for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for, um, you know, somebody to show them things. <laughs> They're looking for all of these that, that got them off of their goals. As a young person, a lot of people are, you know, sad and depressed and have a lot of anxiety. All those things get into the way, um, get in the way with you making really great decisions. But the key to that is just because you have those regrets and you make decisions, it's not over for you. Always come back from it with better and brighter and wiser. Well, you know, I I, I can I definitely, uh, you know, will we'll clap for the idea of being wiser. I, I think that that is the goal for everybody, right? I think that your goal is to, um, is to grow, you know, from your experiences and, and, you know, become a smarter person. Like, you know, I, I think my goal in life has always been to figure out life because mm -hmm. I figured that if I figured life out early, I could maximize, I can minimize my regret. Jeff Bezos actually, um, was one of the first people I saw that introduced me to that idea of re regret minimization. And uh, it reminded me of another technique we used to learn in mathematics back when I used to teach math at the University of Kentucky. And it was called um, <clears throat> dynamic optimization. And all dynamic optimization basically means is that you, instead of thinking about just your next move uh, or in playing checkers, you really want to play chess. You know, a chess master, I'm not, a, a, I'm not great at chess, but, but from what I understand, to be really good at chess, you got to think about the end in mind. You got to think about what's the final goal. Like, where am I trying to get to? And dynamic optimization or regret minimization, which Jeff Bezos talks about, is basically saying looking at your life as if you're 90 years old and looking back on your life. And basically looking back and saying, how do I minimize the number of regrets I have? Because I'm going to have regrets, you know, and, um, <clears throat> and regrets are a pain in the butt. They say if the cost of winning is too high, then wait till you get the bill for regret. Regret is the thing that will keep you up at night. And so um, with that regret minimization framework, my thought was it, the more I understand life, 
the better choices I can make while I'm young so that when I get older, I'm, I'm not going to look back at my life and say, dang, I should have done this, should have done that, shouldn't have did this, shouldn't have did that. Um, and I think it's worked so far. I know right now when I look at my life, I'm really happy with 90% of the choices I made. You know, there's a couple areas where I'm like, ah, okay, I could have done that different. But for the most part, you know, I, I used to see that. I used to see when I grew up, I used to know a lot of um, OGs and older guys who would always be like, man, don't be, don't be doing what I did. They'd be sitting there with a, with a blunt and a, you know, and a beer and the, you know, a cigarette in one hand and a, a, a can of beer in the other talking about don't, don't be like me. Don't be stupid like I was. And, and, and I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't, didn't want to be 50 years old telling some young guy, don't do what I did. I wanted to be the guy who says, here's what I did and here's what worked. And I think that when you talk about things like Planned Parenthood and the story of, of, the cost of raising a child literally costing the same as or as much as buying a house. You know, I, I think that that's probably one of the most important decisions you make who you choose to create life with. I mean, that's one of those decisions that just stays with you forever. And if you do it wrong, it becomes really hard to find your happiness and peace. It becomes really hard to build wealth in that situation because ideally the people you procreate with should be helping you build wealth. They should be helping you succeed. They should be helping you live your best life, but they can also be the people that can make it hard for you to live your best life. Yeah. I mean, I think if it costs $300,000 to raise a baby, it don't cost you nothing to raise that baby with love and acceptance so that when they get older, they don't make a whole bunch of mistakes in their life. Mm. It don't cost you nothing to stop what you're doing and pick that baby up when it's crying so that that baby can trust the baby don't turn around with trust issues because they were crying and they were hungry and they needed to somebody to rock them to sleep. They needed somebody to put clothes on their back and feed them. They needed somebody to do very basic things for them. And it wasn't done when they get home from school. They needed somebody to talk to them about all the things that happened in their day. They needed somebody who was, um, available for them when they needed them. They needed somebody to be empathetic to them and their issues that they were going through. And they needed to be somebody responsive to them when they needed something. It don't cost you nothing to do that. And if you're able to put just those three things into a child, they will grow up and you won't have to worry about all of these awful decisions that youth tend to make because they're guided by, they didn't live in a house full of love and acceptance and they go out in the world with hurt with hurt and pain in their hearts and those are the kind of people that will sit out and make terrible choices about sex because they don't they don't love their bodies they don't love who they are because that love was never poured into them as a child that don't cost you anything mm. okay it's free so, it's so, free, it's so free I'm, to love I'm, your children so i'm gonna ask you this question so i mean are you saying that if a child is loved and nurtured in their household, that they won't be tempted to make bad decisions when it comes to sex. Minimize that they won't. Oh, they minimize. Talking okay, about so, so regret you, minimization so you, and regret mm. minimization starts with when that child is born. Are you going to feed anger and pain and abuse and you're going to just hit them and and not listen to them and not tune into their needs and what they want? Are you going to have a child that doesn't feel valued as a person? And they mm -hmm. walk around um, just in need for love, looking mm -hmm. for love in all the wrong places because they never got it in their house. Mm -hmm. Those okay. are going to be the people that go out. They don't think that they like, oh, I've always wanted to be a, a doctor or a lawyer, but I've been told all my life that I'm stupid. So there's no way that can be for me when you're all 100 percent capable 
of being any and everything. You're limitless. All of us are limitless in mm. what we can do. The problem is that we got people who we looked up to, people who we thought should care for us as a child who told us we were nothing. Mm. And those are the youth that make awful decisions. The youth you were talking about, those are mm -hmm. the youth that make terrible decisions compared to those who came from a household of love and acceptance, discipline, of course. We always need to discipline our children, but they came from those situations. Those are the people that are going to have a whole bunch of regrets. Mm. Okay. Hey! Okay. I like what you said. I think that that's a good point. I think that, so you're saying that loving your kids is a good way to help them make good decisions later so they don't end up having $300,000 babies splattered all over the country. Exactly. Okay. And I guarantee you, future, if I had him in my office, I'd love to have him in my office, by the way. Mm. <laughs> if I had him in my office and I did a history on him, I guarantee you there's a history of stuff. Mm. Nick Cannon, all of them, all of them who believe that that is manhood, that is not manhood to go around and have a bunch of babies by all these different women and think that that's manhood and think that those kids are going to grow up whole. Okay. Knowing I, that their father was there for them. You can't possibly be there for them. When right. You got eight kids in eight different households. Okay. So I got a question. You ready? Yes. You, you you said a lot about what's wrong with future and i don't disagree with you and by the way the rapper future is who we're talking about his name is actually navadius demon wilburn i would have just okay changed, i would have changed future. my name too <laughs> yeah we're gonna just call him future it's a beautiful um, name future having a name called future is awesome right so let me let me ask <laughs> you gotta question, live up though. to it mm -hmm. okay so <clears throat> the future who had a lot of kids you know he's he's known for his music and his many millions of children apparently have you heard um, his music it's it's really awesome well it's not bad i mean i'm not a i'm not a mumble rap guy though i think <laughs> i think mumble rap is a reflection of the fact that our school system is garbage and that a lot of people mumble rap sounds good if you are uneducated and on drugs like if you high and you can't read or you don't want to enunciate your words anyway i think that's where mumble rap sounds really great um but you know, so I'm, I admit, I admit, I'm a fan of lyricism. You know, I'll sit and listen to a Kendrick Lamar because Kendrick is saying things that, that challenge my mind. Himself. Right. He is. He is an artist in that regard. It's future. I'm not going to say he's not an artist, but I'll just say it's not my style. But, yeah, he's the father of eight kids, uh, each with different women. So he went eight for eight. He went eight <laughs> for eight. Wow. That's that's that, that's that's pretty. Get <laughs> the bullseye on that. So future uh, has eight kids with eight women. Um, he adopted now he, he adopted the son of one of his mothers of his daughter uh, in uh, October 2013. He was engaged to Sierra, who's the mother of one of his sons. Um, let's see here. He, he's been sued uh, by by some women uh, claiming um, emotional and behavioral issues and abuse. Yeah. So uh, that, that tells you there's something he's struggling with things. Yeah. And, and, and um, OK, it would be not, you know, it would be so beautiful for future to turn it around is not his future still looks bright to me. Be great for him to turn that around and really future has a bright future. He does have it, it it's bright anyway because he's successful in what he does, but I'm wondering how successful he is in his personal life. I'm sure it's very chaotic. I'm sure he's got a lot of content to to to, to rap about. <laughs> um, you know, just based on his life. But it would be nice. I would love to see all these um individuals who are public who make less than ideal decisions to turn their life around. They probably won't be as successful because we've talked about the music industry and how they promote 
you know, all of these negative stereotypes. But if he turned himself around, he would be a great beacon for a lot of individuals like him to turn themselves around. Mm. I think, you know, it would be wonderful inspiration um, if he were to get in touch with himself and his music. Actually, honestly, I did listen to, you know, I, I, I judge before I listen sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I did, you know, I have teenagers in the house and they like future or whatever. And so I listen to his songs. They're really not that bad. I mean, well, eh, you know, sometimes he has something really good to say in his songs. And then the next verse would be something really ratchet. So you got to kind of, mm. you're like, oh, he didn't mess it up in the second verse. But, <laughs> you, know, you know, there's something there for him. There's something in that. He's talented, I think. Well, I, I'm not gonna say he's not talented, um, you know. And I think, but I think that one one of the things we got to think about as a people is we have to get past this idea of feeling that because somebody's talented, that that makes them automatically a successful black person, or that we should applaud yeah. the talent and ignore everything else. Like I, I think that um, when you look at the way hip hop influences the thinking of so many young people. Mm-hmm. I see young people out here. They get the same tattoos as rappers. They, they, they speak the way the rappers speak. They dress the way the rappers dress. Um, you know, and then, and then, and then the music, if you listen to the music, it's promoting drug use and criminality and bad choice, disrespect for women, uh, bad financial choices. And it, so it shouldn't surprise you that so many black Americans are failing. And, and, and in fact, I saw an interesting video, my, my friend Raheem Shabazz, who, who lives in Atlanta, who made a documentary called Elementary Genocide, shared a video where there was a Nigerian woman who said um, that, you know, she claimed that every Nigerian family, now this obviously isn't every family, of course, but she said, you know, in her view, she said every Nigerian family has to talk with their kids before they come to America. And they tell them, stay away from black Americans, stay away from black Americans. All that's going to happen is a black American man will get you pregnant and abandon the baby. They get wrapped up in drugs. They get wrapped up in all this negativity and this terrible stuff. And it's going to get you killed or get you arrested or ruin your life. Now, obviously. What's so that, funny is that. No, uh-huh. go ahead. Finish your point. But I get. Right. And, and I agree. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's highly. It's a horribly invalid thing to say because it's almost like saying don't talk to Nigerians because they'll scam you out of your money. Right. Right. <laughs> which which is that same thing. Right. Right. Cause they're, they're, so every community is plagued by its stereotypes. So obviously that stereotype is not appropriate, but what I am saying is that I think that as, as African-American people, we have to confront the dominant sides of our culture that are not so healthy for us. I think that we have to talk about, you know, like just, you know, when, when some rapper is doing something ridiculous, I think that we have to have some boundaries on appropriate behavior. That's what I, I think that it's, it's so funny. You talk about dominant side and I agree it's dominant, but it's not as common in reality. It's just what is right. shown on television. That's reality. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and it's just, it's just hilarious. And sometimes like when I lived in Florida, there was a, a lot of different types of black people. And it's hilarious. Cause I was talking to one of my um, Jamaican friends and there was a car that ride rode by. No. And it had, and it had like a, a Jamaican flag in it, and there was another car that had made. I think it had like a, a even a Nigerian flag. And she told me, she said, you know, they put those flags in their car to let everybody know that they're not African American because you don't know the difference Ooh. by looking at them. And what are you? Are you serious? Yeah, that's what she told wow. me. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I said, girl, for real. She said, yeah, that's why they do it. 
you know. But the thing is, is that we're, you <laughs> know, so and I think that is that is just awful that people in Africa look down. And I do know some people from Africa who I feel like look down on black people. And um, what they don't understand is that we're attached at the hip. Right. Believe it or not, we're all in the right. same thing. <laughs> and um, whereas, remember those commercials that would come on about the African babies with flies and stuff hanging mm-hmm. around them yeah. and all of that? Yeah. I honestly, growing up with that, I honestly said, oh my God, I would never want to go to Africa because it's going to be like a big barren desert there's no mm-hmm. food in africa there's right no and housing. we and we know that that's not true that's not true that's so. not true at all but but <laughs> you're right i mean what you're saying you know i mean i think that's an important point you know in terms of <laughs> kind of understanding like you know like we are in this together and i and i i remember i was in this thing called the phd project years ago this group for um aspiring black phds in business it's a great organization and i was on the panel, and I think I was a faculty member at the time, if I'm not mistaken, or, or a graduating doctoral student or something. And uh, there was a Jamaican lady who was talking about something with her program or whatever. And and I and maybe I could have said it different because I was younger <laughs> at the time. But I basically said, I said, you know, I said uh, in Jamaica, you know, you had different kinds of people and everybody was black, but or most people were black. And you saw people as human beings, you know, like, oh, you're an accountant, you're a plumber, you're whatever. I said in America, unfortunately, in the eyes of white people, you a nigga. You that's what you just like the rest of it. I said it like that. Ooh, speak on it, bro. right? Well, what happened was it was funny. I got so mad because it was this black lady who was there, who was married to a white man, by the way, who goes and snitches to the to the head of the thing to say like this is what he said, and I just want to let you guys know that he's saying these kinds of things. And that was when I was getting in trouble. That was when I was in the process of getting booted out, out of academia. Voice. Right, but it was true. But now I look back it on that statement. True. It was, I think it was accurate. It's like, look, you know, I know you came up in here on your high horse and you came in, you know, like knowing that you were whatever you were back in your own country. But when you come to America, you better choose the right side. You better understand who your friends are and who your friends are not. Well, I think the mistake that a lot of Africans make when they do come here, they, because there's a lot of indoctrination in Africa too to think that whiteness is better. I mean, we all live mm. in, the whole world is covered in that is such you know, an accurate <laughs> statement. White whiteness is yeah, that that's an accurate statement. Yeah, whiteness is better. But the thing is, is that when you come here to the United States, and I know a lot of Caribbean people and African people that come here, they don't know, but they gonna soon find out. <laughs> they mm-hmm. try to get in academia, try to pretend you, get you buddy, gonna learn today. Get buddied up, <laughs> get buddied up with white people. You will soon find out who you are. They'll be that, coming right back. You get to that you. Paul Mooney wake up call, you know, like, you know, like, like seriously, Paul Mooney was like, like, okay, well, you gonna, they gonna wake you up, and, you, and that's the thing. What's interesting <laughs> is that when you have people that kind of have that delusion that okay, I'm, I look black, but I'm not really black. White people don't care, right? White people <laughs> don't care. In and the then, same boat. <laughs> and then you'll see those same people, and they will be like devastated, like, Trauma, like, like they look at traumatized yeah like, they're like oh my god these people. Do you know these people did to me oh my god and 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 we're sitting there like yeah we We've tried to tell you. you we tried to warn you and now you know they they're gonna drop the bomb on you and yep. you're you're all in shock and and i think just generally speaking um i think that what black people have to strive for in my opinion is we get we we want to strive for the representation of our humanity you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's what we're fighting for. Our humanity means oh, yes. that, yeah, you're going to have some black people doing things that might be a little ratchet. Uh, but you also got black people who are scientists. You got mm-hmm. black people that are hardworking mothers and fathers. 
You got black people that wouldn't hurt a fly. You got black people out here that are doing amazing things. And, um, and, and in fact, that's, that's part of what, you know, when we talk about the all black national convention and all that, those are the people that I see, like you and I will bump into people that follow us all around the country and they are doing amazing things. And it really frustrates me that these amazing things that these people are doing are not being given the attention that they would receive if they were behaving like a walking stereotype. Well, you know, the revolution won't be televised. The revolution will not be televised. In fact, <laughs> how many of y'all give me a yes in the chat. Give me a yes in the chat. If you're doing something positive, like in your life, if you are raising a good, strong family, uh, give me a yes in the chat. If you have, if you're making money, if you're not in dire poverty, give me a yes in the chat. If you are trying to educate yourself on a regular basis, give me a yes in the chat. If you are doing healthy things, eating healthy food, give me a yes in the chat. If you are breaking generational curses, give me a yes in the chat. If you are owning real estate and owning property, give me a yes in the chat. If you're building wealth by investing in the stock market, everybody give me a yes in the chat, because I think that, I think that this silent, this silent majority Yes. The silent majority needs to be represented. And it, and it really irritates me when they just want to put knuckleheads on TV and be like, oh, this is black culture. This mm -hmm. is black. What they're doing is they're, they're taking they're, they're taking all the black people that are, you know, that are doing great things. And they're saying, no, no, no. Something's wrong with you. Like, you're not you're not really being black. You actually read books. Black people don't do that. You know, and then you're like, dang, well, I'm reading a book. I don't, I don't, I want to fit in. So, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pretend to be dumb so I can fit in with what people have told me is the culture. Y'all got to understand that that is propaganda. That's how propaganda works. Propaganda, uh, Judge Joe Brown, who we both love. We met him. I love this man immensely. Ooh. He tells the best stories. Judge Joe Brown studied uh, under a Russian lady who was an expert on propaganda. And one of the things that he said about propaganda is that one of the goals of propaganda is to make you believe that you are isolated, make you believe that you are the only one. And so part of the reason I had you all do that exercise and put that yes in the chat, if you're doing certain things that are very positive is because I need you all to know, like you ain't the only one. You're not, you're not the only one out here that's, that's doing good things. There are so many people out here like you. And, and so, so part of the reason we do things like, like, like the all black national convention <laughs> Is, is we want to draw attention to that. We want to bring you together so you can literally become an army with each other. You can really support each other, have each other's back. So um, anyway, um, I'm going to take a little moment to let you guys know to, to just, and then, um, and then I know you got a lot to say, babe. I know you I got did. a response to that. <laughs> so before we get to your response, I want to let everybody know you're listening to Pillow Talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia Watkins. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. This is my lovely wife, Dr. Alicia Watkins. Uh, I know I, I'm the guy who talks too much. And, um, <laughs> and by the way, Dr. Alicia is a licensed therapist and a couples counselor and also she's a full professor of social work uh if you want to learn more uh, you can go to boysonalicia.com and also uh that right there is the all black national convention the all black national convention is uh is a, a great event it is the premier gathering of all black people who want to change the world and and, and we created this convention uh because i wanted to see our people come together and get an opportunity to really support each other and things like that. And so if you want to learn more about the convention, uh, you can actually go to allblacknationalconvention.com. 
uh, and I'll put the URL on the screen. Uh, the convention is going to be October 28th through the 30th in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, so if you want to attend the convention, we have a whole children's track. We're going to have speed dating and speed networking. We're going to have panels on everything from crypto to politics to stock market investing to relationships. We're going to have experts. We have billionaire Mike Roberts coming in. We have uh, the, the former CEO of the Air Jordan brand, Larry Miller, is going to be a special guest. He's going to talk about how he took Michael Jordan's company from $300 million a year to three billion a year these are first class people and the requirement for any of them to be invited is they had to be black first we have many celebrities and mainstream negroes out here that want to come to the convention and we say look you've got to meet the quality the, the qualifications and so and being on tv is not enough of a qualification i wanted larry miller there because larry miller is a good guy he cares about the community and he knows some stuff that black people can benefit from so that's just one example of the types of people that are going to be there i guarantee if you come to the All Black National Convention, you will walk away transformed. You will walk away connected. You will walk away elevated. You will walk away full of knowledge and opportunity and possibility. And your kids are going to be ready to take over for the next generation. So if you'd like to learn more about the convention, just go to allblacknationalconvention.com. And uh, also, if you'd like to, uh, if some of you already know about the convention, if you want to be a vendor, uh, you have a Black-owned business. There are plenty of people there that love to buy Black and support Black-owned businesses. You can go to abncvendors.com. That's abncvendors.com. And uh, so write this down, too. If you want to get a discounted hotel room at the Sheraton, uh, downtown Sheraton, we stay in classy hotels. We don't, we, we're not going to have you staying in the Motel 6. Uh, you can go get a discounted hotel room at abnchotel.com. Our staff has been working very hard on this convention all year round. No corporate sponsors. This is not Black Liberation brought to you by Walmart or Black or, or, or Freedom Black Freedom brought to you by McDonald's. Chase, Chase Bank. Or by Chase Bank, right? <laughs> This is gonna. This is funded and supported by the community. So that means that we're not afraid to invite people like Riza Islam, who is gonna be at the convention. We're not afraid to invite people like Queen Afua, who blew it up last year. We're not afraid to work with rappers who are trying to do good things in the community, like D1 and and Killer Mike and David Banner, who've all come to the convention. We are going wherever the solutions lie. And also, last point I'll make on this is uh, as one of the great OGs, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson. We gave him our Lifetime Achievement Award at the last convention and we at that moment renamed the lifetime achievement award the dr claude anderson lifetime achievement award which we're going to give to somebody in our community every year who deserves to be honored and respected we are tired of our best people being put last and our last people being put first we ain't going to tolerate that no more so that's what the convention is all about so so go you can go to abchotel.com to get uh to, to get your discounted hotels abncvendors.com to uh, be, get a vending spot or to become a sponsor if you'd like to do that, if you want us to advertise you on this platform, and you can go to allblacknationalconvention.com to learn more about the convention. All right, so my wife has something to say, and I did all the talking. But I'm, I'm sorry, baby. I just want to apologize publicly for doing all the talking. Yeah, but it's not going to stop you from doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're going to apologize. Oh, my you're God. You're going to turn around and do the same thing. Day, you are so correct. So you, it's okay. You, you're so right. You're Listen, so right. I just want to let you know. I just want to let you know is that I accept you. You accept me? Yeah, I accept you. You love me? You just a, a run on sentence. That's okay. For me. That's all right. Uh, that's so funny. Oh, before before I respond, I just want to say I think I don't know. I, we're getting mixed. I don't know how people feel about the um the the noises, all oh. the noises that you're making. What is it called? The sound effects. I think I think they're kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
By the way, I think it's so adorable that you are just so into the sound effects. I oh my it. god, I'm I'm che I'm cheesing <laughs> like a ten year old. It makes me laugh because you get you get into it, and it's so funny to me. Anyway, so I just want to say that it's okay. You're okay. You oh. are okay in your sound effects. Well, <laughs> Keep I love it you going. Too. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead baby now you had a lot to say and i just did all that talking I, so i'm gonna be quiet and let you make your point the problem is is that like i lose the thought like if i don't say it immediately it's just like you just put me on something so you else made, made some notes i did make some notes so i think i i think i think i can articulate what i'm trying to say okay so okay, okay so you mentioned let me see if i can get it right you mentioned that uh there are a lot of black people who are doing really wonderful things and they're isolated Mm -hmm. from each other okay right, right and the all black national convention is our quiet and silent <laughs> uh revolution where we all kind of come together because you know you're not going to get um mainstream you know acknowledgement or even kind of press whatever you know you're not going to get this mainstream thing which is fine and i think that um i think that that's the whole goal of it right Mm -hmm. Isn't that the okay. purpose of it? Like, I don't think we need to be telling the powers that be what we're doing. Mm, okay, you know, I right. think I think that we should allow. That's a, that's a good point. By the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like that point. You're right. That G's move in silence, like G's move in silence. And I think that um, if we want to take, let me tell you, the best people who can get things done are the Russian. Russian intelligence is probably the best in the world. Right. From my mm, understanding. Right. OK. And so <clears throat> I'm really thinking that Russians are real good at sleeper agents. Mm, sleeper agents. <laughs> OK. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So they're really good at sleeper agents where they have like people who are just going along naturally thinking that I'm, I'm agreeing with the status quo. I'm doing everything that you think that I'm doing. You got my body, but you don't have my mind because underneath it, I'm mm. really adhering to this cause. Mm, and so maybe okay. our purpose in life is to be like, it is what it is. I'll go to work and do whatever I need to do. Let them think they winning, you know, mm -hmm. let, let the dominant society, I'll just call it the dominant society, think they winning in their agenda, but actually they're not. Mm. You know, that's that's the best way to strategize in terms of getting your needs met, because the problem with if I should say the civil rights movement, there are many problems with the civil rights movement. <laughs> mm -hmm, but right. one of the problems is that they were too vocal. They mm. were like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march on the street and we're going to do these things. And we're going to let you know our plan. You know, when you watch a movie and they and they lay out the plan. Oh, we know it ain't never yeah. going to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you're so right. Uh, did anybody ever notice this? Like how on Scooby-Doo? Whenever they, I learned this. Announce the plan. I learned this when I was a kid. I picked this one. This when I was little. I whenever they would announce the plan. Here's what we're gonna do. They gonna they would all, the plan would never work. <laughs> it don't ever work, and it doesn't work when you just let everybody know. So this is our slow way of announce. We're gonna announce our plan at the convention. Mm, okay. But we ain't gonna announce it before then. <laughs> we're okay. gonna announce it, you know, before then at the convention. You don't know what you're gonna get. Well, you know, I, I think get a plan. <laughs> I think that's a really good point that you make. I mean, I, I like, I like, uh, you know, and that's true. I mean, I think that it's a matter of figuring out. I mean, some of the plan has to be marketed so you can mobilize people, so you can get people to rally behind something. But what you say publicly um, should not be the same as everything you say privately. And and you know, and and really, when you go back to what we were, what you were just referring to, which I think is a, is a great point. Um, you know, like I like I do think about Scooby Doo, and I, I do remember. <laughs> That whenever, whenever they, um, 
whenever they would talk about the plan, I, I knew it at seven years old, I'd be like, <laughs> okay, it ain't going to work. And then it's, uh, it's always the plan where they whisper in somebody's ear and they say, that's, Here's the, plan that's, gonna work. that's the plan that works. Cause then they surprise you at the end. And I think that for black people, we, we don't want to be, um, this Scooby-Doo, you know, yeah, we, we whispering we, right now. We got to whisper a That's little right. more. And, uh, and I had, um, I had a guy on, on the, on the, on the show not too long ago, uh, named Mike Roberts. And you and I both know Mike Roberts <laughs> and we love him. He has this, that great party in the Bahamas. I want, I can't wait to go to that party. So Mike is a billionaire and, um, and Mike came on to, uh, onto this channel actually. And, uh, a couple of times. And one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting was he said, he said, rich people are loud, wealthy people whisper, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, yep. and, and if you think about it, you know, a lot of us see the loud rappers on TV and, uh, and, and I think when I listen to Mike Roberts speak, I remember thinking, okay, I get it. When, when you're wealthy or when you really have a true power plan, you ain't got to scream and holler. You don't want to be out here, you know, like, out the street, you know, out, out, you know, out here and embarrassing so yourself, blowing, you know, blowing up your spot. Uh, you just move in silence and you get the job done. All right, I'm gonna turn the sound down a little bit. It's a little too loud. I love your noises, by the way, but yeah, yeah. I do. But it's a little loud. Okay. I know, I know. They're yeah, loud. I'm I'm testing them out. I love it. I, well, I say keep it going. Double down on the noises. On well, the I, you know what? I I think the noise. I I like it because it makes it interesting. It gives yeah. me a way to express myself. I'm an artist, you know. <laughs> But and yeah, I'm yeah. So, about my so I would say, as mm-hmm. as black people, generally speaking, I think that it's very important for us to understand the importance of of making a plan. Number one, and then when you make a plan, you ain't got to tell everybody about the plan. And I think everybody listening, same thing is true in your life. You know, sometimes we will make a plan, and because we're not fully convinced that the plan is going to work, we'll start seeking validation from people who are even are who are completely incapable of validating the plan, who don't have the skill set to even know if the plan somewhere don't have the vision to even see the vision God gave you. I mean, God gave you that vision. That's your vision, but you're trying to convince your mama that it's going to work and your mama don't get it. So you don't do it because you, because your mother talks you out of it or your husband or your, your, your whoever. And I, I would just say that, you know, sometimes when you get that divine vision, that divine plan, you have to keep it. And this is what I do actually, <clears throat> when I have a really big idea that I know most of my friends won't understand I keep it to myself until I've completed just enough of that project for them to be able to really see the vision. And then when they're like, wow, what is that? That's amazing. How did you do that? I say, oh, this is what I've been thinking about. And this is where I'm going to take this. And then they can see it more clearly than if you're trying to talk them into it. It is very frustrating to talk people into something when they just can't see the vision or they have another agenda or whatever. So I I just got tired of doing that. I, I do the talking with my actions. You know, and I think that's what black people have to do. We have to start talking with our actions instead of waiting for validation, whether it's white people or the Democratic Party or or somebody to applaud us. You don't need all of that. Just move. Yeah. And not only that, I'm just going to um, I'm, I'm agree with you 100 percent. But I'm also going to say God has a plan for future, too. Mm. God also has a plan. Are we still, for the we're people still talking who, about future. <laughs> what rapper? I'm saying is that, you know, you have put future in this category of. Um, not making good decisions and ratchetness or whatever. And mm. I'm saying, even though we look at people and we see some of the decisions that they make, and it's not basically the decision that you would make, but I think that um, they have a plan too. 
that they're carrying out. All of us do. Well, I'm not going to say he doesn't have a plan. I mean, I, I just, I mean. It's a divine plan, by the way. But planning eight kids. It's a kids, divine plan. Planning eight children mm-hmm. is not. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that that he doesn't have a right to live his life or that he can't do something good. I'm saying <clears throat> that, you know, I, I see people that look at this and they think that this is an okay set of choices to make or they um, or or we don't want to talk down on, you know, on <clears throat> unplanned parenthood. Like we, we want to sort of just act like it's not a big deal and we overlook the error and I think you're, it's a mistake. I think that there has to be an honest conversation about how children out of wedlock is the quickest way to poverty that there is. The lowest net worth in America is the net worth of a single black mother with children. And then right there with her is the single black father with children because child support courts will rip through your whole entire income. So maybe future has enough money to pay for those eight kids that he has or whatever. Um, and I don't know about his situation. I don't care about his situation. What I'm saying is, that he's a good template and an example of what not to do if you're really trying to build wealth as a normal human being who's not an internationally known hip-hop artist. Yeah, and I hate to be fatalistic in my thinking. You know, I know sometimes I kind of I, I dip into fatalism. Mm. Um, but you know what? I think that maybe one of those eight are going to be the the one person that's going to change the world. They might be. I mean, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, my father wasn't there for me and I, you know, and it, you know, it fueled me to do great things and mm-hmm. I see the world in a certain so there, way. So there's beauty in in it all. There's I think beauty there's beauty in it. in it all, but I really think people need to raise their damn kids. And I think that that mm-hmm. that more often than not, ha- splattering your seed all over the country leads to more bad than good, more harm than positive. You know, I mean, because think about this. We're having a whole conversation right now in this country about Planned Parenthood. And I think that if we're going to talk about Planned Parenthood, then, then cool, let's really plan some parenthood. That means that I'm going to talk to my son or my daughter and say, hey, look, if you're trying to build wealth and become successful, who you mate with is going to be a huge part of that. You mate with the right person, you you might hit the jackpot, great things will happen, possibilities will emerge that you never had before. Think about it. You and I, are, we mate together, you know, and, you know, we're doing work together. You make me better. I make you better. We benefit. We buy an assets together. We're building, you know, a legacy together, right? But you mate with the wrong person and go in the opposite direction. Yeah, and let me just say something. Um, when you know, in my clinical practice, um, I've worked with all different types of families, right? I've worked with black families, I've worked with <coughs> white families, I've worked with Latino families for the most part. Those are like the group of, of families that I've worked with, and um, I do see some mm-hmm. trends along racial lines. And one thing I had can proudly say with the back black families that I've worked with compared to a lot of the white families um, and even to Hispanic families, um, pretty much, I noticed that the fathers take their responsibility of fatherhood very seriously among the black families that mm. I've worked with. And when I have conversations with them about that, um, they say, you know, well, you know, my father wasn't necessarily there for me. And I'm going to make sure I don't do that for my family. Or it was, um, I hate this awful stereotype about black fathers abandoning their kids and not taking responsibility. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to be one of those fathers. I'm going to end this here. And I'm going to take my, my position as a husband and take my position as a father very seriously. And I would have to say across the board, the black fathers and husbands that I work with are 
holding it down way more than mm. a lot of the white the white fathers just be like I'm going to shout out to the <laughs> shout out to the black fathers that are and and I and I love that right, right? I it's lo- beautiful and I don't mm-hmm. I mean I can't say you know I mean I'm, I wouldn't make a comment on that but I have can will say that I'm really really impressed with the level of commitment that a lot of the men, black men in particular are doing and um, trend wise, I hear that so much more among the black families than I hear even among the white families. Mm. And you talk about sexist, <laughs> some mm. of these, whew, Lord. Well, you know what? I, I, I love it because it, what it, what's really going on in my view, you know, just <laughs> from me kind of looking around and being, you know, trying to observe what's happening in the community. I feel like there's a, a there's an awakening. There's a consciousness yes. about family, and because we're in the rebuilding phase, yes. we're, we're we're developing our own our own Marshall Plan to make up for the destruction of the crack cocaine era, the war on drugs, um, mass incarceration, all these things that destroyed our families. And you have so many good people, men and women, who are consciously thinking about these things and and confronting this and then on the other side of that you have um unfortunately children that are part of the aftermath of that like when i watch a show like love and hip-hop or whatever where i see young people just making these crazy relationship decisions that are going to ruin their lives in my view um if you listen to their stories a lot of them it's it's far you know it's, it's more often than not that you'll hear them say oh my mama was on crack or my daddy was in prison Mm-hmm. You know, most of them don't have a father. And and so, you know, so these these challenged, I think, chaotic relationship choices can come from not having the stability and structure that, that, that they deserve. And I and I can't help but sit and wonder, like, what happens to the children? What happens to the community when that if that's allowed to become the norm? Like, I, I feel like we're really in a culture war to some extent to at least make sure that that people know that they have a choice that, that you know, your your only choice isn't to go out and splatter babies, mamas across the country or have eight babies, daddies that, that are not helping you. You know, you can actually find a good quality husband or a good quality wife, build a stable family and then build legacy together. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have nothing to say to that, but I uh, agree. With <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I think that we, we have said it all and we've said quite a lot. And, um, and so uh, I want to say thank you all for joining us today on pillar talk with Dr. Boyce and Dr. Alicia. Uh, as you know, Dr. Alicia is a licensed therapist. She's a certified clinical trauma professional. She's also a full professor of social work. If you'd like to learn more about the work she does, she sees couples on a regular basis. She sees individuals on a regular basis. Uh, you can feel free to go to uh, coachingwithdralicia.com and learn more about what she does. Now, those of you that want to go to the All Black National Convention and join us in Charlotte, North Carolina, October 28th through the 30th, it's going to be lit. It's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be very powerful, very black. Nobody's telling us what to say. Nobody's telling us what to do. Uh, You can go to allblacknationalconvention.com. That's allblacknationalconvention.com. If you'd like to be a vendor or a sponsor, uh, you can, and you have a black owned business, you want to go make some money. Uh, there are plenty of people that want to support you. You can go to abncvendors.com. That's the URL. Last but not least, I'm going to put another URL up. So if you want that other one, write it down. The last one is if you want to get a discounted hotel for the convention, you can go to abnchotel.com. Uh, Dr. Alicia is going to do her speed dating this year again, which was, which was a huge hit last time. And uh, we're going to do speed networking. We're also going to have uh, I'm going to do a training on how to invest in the stock market. We're going to talk about stock options. We're going to talk about uh, relationships and politics. 
we're going to have people like um, the former CEO of the Air Jordan brand, the chairman of the board, Larry Miller, who's going to talk about uh, how to, how he scaled the Jordan brand from $300 million a year to $3 billion a year. We're going to have billionaire Mike Roberts. We're going to have people like Riza Islam, who's a powerful activist. We're going to have Maj Ture from Black Guns Matter. It's going to be really awesome, and I hope that you can join us. Uh, if you are pro-black, then this is the place for you. And we make no apologies to anybody because uh, we believe that our community is going to win and uh, we're willing to do whatever it takes to get us there. And we believe that we can do it ourselves. So uh, God bless you, everybody. Thank you all uh, for listening. It was great. And I want to say thank you to my lovely wife <laughs> uh, for yet another beautiful podcast. So everybody, uh, take care. Please have a wonderful day. And don't forget, you can find this podcast on Spotify also. If you look up the Dr. Boyce Breakdown on Spotify, you can listen to the podcast there as well. And we are out. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Bye.